tuning in to our Neighborhood Church podcast. Join us on Sunday at any of our locations. To learn more about our church, visit neighborhoodchurch.com or download our church app. Well, good morning. I'm Doug Ferguson, one of the elders here at Neighborhood Church and uh, part of the preaching team, I guess. And uh, I'd like to welcome those of you here in the in person, and I understand we got the live stream fixed, and so welcome to uh, the folks watching online this morning. Uh, this morning, as you've heard, is the first Sunday of Advent. By the way, how was everyone's Thanksgiving? Good? Good? Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Pat and I had uh, two Thanksgiving dinners, and uh, I'm going to be eating leftover turkey for a while, but that's okay. I enjoy that. But today, um, being Advent also means that we have four weeks until Christmas. And you know, when we hear that, there are generally two different reactions. There's the child's reaction says, I can't wait for Christmas. And then there's the, uh, the busy parent's reaction. What? Wait. No! It can't be almost Christmas. Yeah, one anticipation involves waiting and hoping with breathless anticipation, and the other involves harried shock and dread. And along with that comes the traditions that we enjoy every year. Traditions like getting up into that small, confined, dusty space in the attic to uh, get the Christmas decorations down, although my wife, being much smaller than me, is the one who actually gets up into that space. And for most of us, then we hang the outside lights, put up the lawn decorations, and and we get to trim the tree. And it also means 24 hours of continuous Christmas music every time you get in the car and turn on the radio. Well, it also means, guess what? doing the Christmas shopping, and shopping for just the right present. You know, speaking of the right present, I read about one husband that right before Christmas, he had purchased actually zero gifts for his wife. In fact, the poor guy hadn't even gotten around to buying an acceptable acceptable gift for his wife for the previous year. He, He did give her something that year, but he could... He could tell by her reaction to it that she had not been dreaming of getting an automotive automotive, uh, emergency kit, even though it was the deluxe model with the uh, booster cables and and, uh, air compressor. It It was clear that this gift had violated some important rule, but the poor guy didn't know what the rule was, and his wife was too upset to tell him. And, and as I thought about that story, I got to thinking about gift buying. I thought I'd do a little research on, on Christmas spending. We all know how commercialized Christmas has become, and I, I found, not surprisingly, there are many economic factors surrounding this holiday. For instance, one-fourth of all personal spending takes place during the Christmas season. On the average, every U.S. citizen spends $997.73. 
The average parent will spend $276 on each child. And uh, according to the website finder.com, Americans are expected to spend in 2022 almost $6.6 billion, that's billion with a B, almost $6.6 billion on Christmas trees. Go figure. Well, you know, every year we say that uh, we're going to spend less during the uh, Christmas season, and, and we, especially during the pandemic, but we found that uh, there was an increase of 8% of holiday sales. Well, the, the Christmas season also means the Christmas story. Now, I'm not talking about the movie A Christmas Story where, where Ralphie gets told, you'll shoot your eye out. I know a lot of people include watching that movie every year as a Christmas tradition. But I'm talking about the Christmas story. You know the one in, in Matthew and uh, Luke with Mary and Joseph and an overcrowded inn and a host of angels and, and a manger and, and some shepherds. It's the story about the birth of Jesus. You know, that's the one we're all familiar with. But, but the story of the birth of Jesus really goes back much further than that. Uh, as uh, we've already heard today, today is the first Sunday in Advent. And, and as we heard, the word Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning coming or arrival. And it's a, a time of, of, of joy and anticipation as we prepare to celebrate the coming of the birth of Jesus, but also the anticipation of Jesus returning again. Each week, each week we light one of the four candles in the Advent wreath, and each candle has a special theme that helps us celebrate that day. Today we lit the candle that signifies hope. And during this season, it's good to remember the hope that God gave the people through the promises in the Old Testament of the coming Messiah. A little background shows us that there are over 300 prophecies that uh, point directly to Jesus that prove without a doubt that he is the Messiah. Mathematician Peter Stoner counted the probability of one person fulfilling even a small number of these prophecies and came to the conclusion that the chance of one person fulfilling just 48 of these prophecies in the Old Testament would be 1 in 10, followed by 157 zeros. So this morning we're going to take a look at some of those prophecies and the prophets that made them, as well as some of the new Testament fulfillments of the birth of Jesus. We should note that a prophet was one who spoke for God. They didn't speak their own opinions. But as we see in 2 Peter 1, 20 and 21, they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we uh, begin the Christmas season, we're thankful We're thankful for so much, Father. We're thankful for families. But most of all, we're thankful for the birth and the second coming that we see 
of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So thank you, Father, for this time. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so the first prophecy we're going to look at is Genesis 3.15. And that first promise of the coming of Christ was given by God in the very first book of the Old Testament, Genesis. You remember that's where Adam and Eve uh, chose to listen to the voice of the evil one instead of the voice uh, of truth. And they sinned by uh, eating from the tree. And in spite of that, God gave them this plan of hope to bring them and us back into a relationship with him. Genesis 3.15 says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This has been called the Proto-Evangelium, which is really just a fancy term, uh, meaning the first gospel, or as my wife puts it, it's the Bible in miniature. There's no doubt that this is not only the first prophecy of the coming of Jesus, it's also referring to the struggle between mankind and Satan, and promises that the ultimate victory would belong to Eve's offspring, Jesus. And the prophecy was fulfilled in the New Testament when we read about Joseph being visited in a dream by an angel of the Lord. Matthew 1.20 says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And in giving him this promise, it gave him and us hope. So, the second prophecy we find in Numbers 24, 17. Uh, deals with a guy named Balaam. He was a soothsayer. Now, now a soothsayer is, is someone who professes to uh, be able to foretell the future. And he believed in, or, or at least he knew about, the God of Israel. Now, Balak was the king of Moab, and he tried to hire Balaam to curse Israel so that the Moabites could defeat them in a battle. At first, Balaam refuses Balak's kind offers, but then he, Balak kind of sweetens the pot with the promise of, of more gold. And Balaam, uh, Balaam agrees and went out with Balak to wage war against Israel. Now, Balaam wasn't being genuine and, and pious here. It, it seems that he was just kind of waiting for a better offer, which he accepted. So he, he saddles up his donkey and heads out with uh, Balak's army to wage war against the Israelites. However, on the way, an angel stops him through a talking donkey. And uh, that's a story you can read about in Numbers 22, and uh, take some time to read it. It's a good one. But as we put into chapter 24 of Numbers, we see that God puts some prophetic words in Balaam's mouth in the form of oracles, which are, which are just that, words of God through a prophet. And the results 
in him coming up with these oracles about Israel, one of which said, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. Now, because God put these words in Balaam's mouth, um, Balak went away without trying to defeat Israel, and they escaped that war. Now, even though Balaam was not considered a significant figure in the line of, of prophets, early Christian writers, including Justin Martyr and Athanasius the Great, considered his words as prophecy, and saw this star as a reference to Jesus, giving them the hope for the coming Messiah. And don't forget, Christ's birth was announced by a star. So, let's look at the third prophecy we see in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord is our righteousness. Now, uh, long before this, we read in Second Samuel that God promised that the Messiah would come out of the line of, of David. So this is just a confirmation of that account. Our hope, the branch of righteousness, would come from the line of David and will reign as the true king. The term Lord of Righteousness tells us of one who will not only reflect the righteousness of God, but will pass this righteousness on to his people, making it their own possession. And it's probably what Paul had in mind when he spoke of Christ Jesus, our righteousness, in 1 Corinthians 1.30. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. So, fourth prophecy. We see in Micah 5.2. Now, Micah was one of uh, one of the 12 minor prophets. And he, was, he had prophesied during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. And this prophecy was written by him sometime around 700 B.C. The Assyrians had invaded the region, and it was a time of violence, econ economic problems, and political and civil unrest. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Now by naming Bethlehem, it eliminates all other cities and towns throughout the world as a place where the Messiah would be born. You know, instead of choosing the, the, the royal city of Jerusalem, which was the capital of Judah, as the birthplace of the Messiah, God selected a town so small that it wasn't even mentioned in the list of towns in Judah. Author John Piper explains, <clears throat> excuse me, 
Bethlehem is scarcely worth counting among the clans of Judah, yet God chooses to bring his magnificent Messiah out of this town. Why? One answer is that the Messiah is of the lineage of David, and David was from Bethlehem. God chose something small, quiet, out of the way, and did something there that changes the course of history and eternity. And this demonstrates God's greatness by narrowing down the possibilities to this one tiny village near Jerusalem. And we see this prophecy fulfilled in Matthew 2.1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Now, two of the strongest prophecies for the gospel message are found in the book of Isaiah. So our fifth and sixth prophecies are found there. The fifth prophecy is Isaiah 7.14. And, and to better understand this prophecy, we need some context and a quick history lesson. You don't have to take notes if you don't want to. There is not going to be a test. You'll remember in Genesis 17.5 that God promised Abraham that he would be the father of many nations. And from that promise came the tribe of Judah. Now we move ahead sometimes to around, sometime around 700 BC and we see that the kingdom of Judah had been taken over by the Assyrians who led them into idol worship and away from God. At this time, the, the king of Judah was Ahaz. Now Ahaz was not a nice guy. One commentator described him as a cowardly, superstitious, and hypocritical ruler one of the worst kings Judah ever had. Not only had he followed the Assyrians and led the nation into idolatry, but he even sacrificed his own son to the god Molech. And now his reign was being threatened by a, uh, an alliance of the kings of Israel and Syria. So as we put in it at Isaiah 7.14, we have the prophet Isaiah bringing the word of God to Ahaz, challenging him to trust in the Lord and his promises, and they would be delivered. Isaiah tells Ahaz to ask a sign from, for yourself from the Lord your God. And Ahaz says, I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to ask, and I won't test the Lord. By the way, that's the Ferguson paraphrase. So he rejects God and refuses to ask for a sign and turns instead to the Assyrian king, pleading his case to save him from the hands of the kings of Israel and Syria. But God gives him a sign anyway, because that's kind of how God is. So Isaiah says these words from in chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. 
Now, I read that there's a little bit of controversy about this prophecy, whether it's directly for the coming Messiah or whether it was a prophecy for Ahaz. And what I found that it's, it's probably a, a mingling of both called a near and far prophecy. And uh, sometimes they, pre- predictive prophecy mingles different times together into one overall picture. And that seems that's what he- we have here. Uh, and uh, the, the word you in the uh, prophecy where it says the Lord himself will give you a sign uh, didn't mean Ahaz. That word is plural, which... Uh, means that it was given to the house of David that was represented by Judah and King Ahaz. Well, we also know that the prophecy wasn't fulfilled in Ahaz's time. And we see clearly the sign being fulfilled with the birth of Jesus, as we see in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. By the way, it's interesting to note that that Ahaz died in the 16th year of his rule, and both politically and spiritually, he had been instrumental in undermining the foundations of the kingdom of Judah. There's a report that heaven did its part to spoil any last honors that might have been given to him upon his death. It says uh, Tradition says that on the day of his death, the sun reportedly shone for only two hours so that his burial had to be rushed. And he was not buried with the other kings of the house of David. So, the sixth prophecy we find in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> in our prophecies of the birth and hope of the Messiah, we stand in Isaiah for probably the best known of the predictions concerning the coming of Jesus. So let's take a few minutes kind of unpacking this prophecy. We've seen that this was a critical time in, in Judah's history. The Assyrians were conquering the northern kingdom, and the Israelites were not obeying God and needed to be challenged to get back to their love and devotion to God. The people needed to repent, and Isaiah is the prophet who is called on by God to speak up and give the people warnings and instructions about their commitment to faith in God or to suffer the consequences of their lack of faith. Isaiah starts out his prophecies in chapter 1, focusing on the Assyrian threat. And then in chapter 9, he kind of switches gear. And we see this prophecy. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. In fulfilling this prophecy, 
we see two main themes about the Messiah. What he's called and what he'll do. A child is born. You know, God could have created the Messiah as a fully grown man like he did Adam. But he began life just like every other human as a child. But not just a child, but the Son of God. The second part of the Trinity in human body. And the government of the world will rest on his shoulders. He is the source of truth. And when he rules, there won't be any issues with his administration. His name will be Wonderful Counselor. You know, he is a counselor who knows your needs. And he has the answer to those needs. He's called the mighty God, which means strength, power, or hero. His power is just unmatched by anybody else. Everlasting Father. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the Father of eternity. Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. He's the one who will ultimately bring peace between God and man. So there will be no end of the reign of the Messiah. Handel had it right when he wrote the Hallelujah Chorus of the Messiah. And he shall reign forever and ever. So, through the prophecies we've looked at uh, on this first Sunday of Advent, from the first one in Genesis to the words of Isaiah, the common theme is hope. I'm going to end with uh, 1 John 5.13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Do you pray with me? Father, we have seen prophecies that announce the coming of the Messiah. We're thankful for your promises. We're thankful that we can not only look forward to the birth of Jesus this this time this year, but uh, also to the second coming. And Father, we thank you for those promises of who you will be, who you are. Father, as we continue into this uh, Advent, may we all look to you as the hope of our eternal future. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.